This is Truth, Justice, and Hope, the podcast that explores the modern era of Superman comics from a humanist perspective and examines real life through the lens of a Superman fan. I'm Grant Richter, and this is episode 67. Truth and justice, my friends, and welcome back to the show. This episode, we are going to start following two new story arcs. The first of them is the uh, very short declaration two-part arc in the eponymous Superman title, beginning with issue 27. We're also going to start following a new arc in Super Sons, beginning with issue 6. There is some confusion on my part as to exactly what the title of the story arc is called, but we'll get to that when we get to the comic book issue. And as I mentioned a few days ago, the Fortress of, Tal- Fortress of Solitude special that I put out over the weekend does not count as the Fortress of Solitude segment for this episode. So let's get into those thoughts from here at the Fortress of Solitude. Now, I have mentioned before, and again, if this is your if this is your first episode of the show, welcome. I have not always been a Superman fan. I've really only been a Superman fan for about the past two and a half years. And of course, I jumped in feet first and immersed myself in the fandom fully, as you may be able to tell by now. Consequently, I have not always been an adherent to the philosophy of truth, justice, and hope. There were times when Perhaps I reveled in the misfortune of those with uh, for whom I did not get along. I was a a considerable enjoyer of Schadenfreude, of bad things happening to one's enemies. Now, Schadenfreude is not quite the same thing as consequences. Consequences is when you do something that specifically is against the law or against the rules or against the you know the unspoken you know traditions of of what one may be doing you know if you cheat on your spouse and they filed for divorce those are consequences if you break the law and you get indicted those are consequences shot in florida is more like um you're a jerk and you get bitten by a Brown recluse spider. That's Schadenfreude, and I I was someone who who grinned you know malevolently at the Schadenfreude of those with whom I did not get along, and I try to not do that now. If yes, I want consequences for people who have done wrong by others, but I don't I don't. I try not to revel in Schadenfreude. That being said, um, I am kind of quietly sitting in the corner smirking about some stuff that's going on in the news right now. 
and that is the squabbling amongst the Republicans, um, specifically between Trump and DeSantis, because they're both terrible, terrible people. And they, of course, are running against each other for the Republican primary for the 2024 presidential election. And the thing that's that I'm trying not to take too much joy from, but failing, is the fact that whoever wins that fight, a terrible person is going to lose. And that's great. But there's also a, a double edge to that sword. The problem is that no matter who loses, <clears throat> excuse me, a terrible person is also going to win. And I don't, I don't just mean like the internet squabbling and the social squabbling. I mean the primary. And that's scary. Because, again, they're both terrible people. They're, but they're different degrees of terrible. I would say they're equal. The equal in terribleness. But they come at it in different directions. It's kind of like, I don't know, Luthor at his, at his worst. Luthor at his like late 2000s after infinite crisis kind of kind of bad where he where Luthor is like enabling Metallo and Reactron and working behind the scenes and trying to destroy Metropolis with a giant sunstone battleship kind of bad and Brainiac from that same era right you know just the this this guy who wants to to shrink cities and kill populations, all for a personal sense of of entitlement, right? And that's giving Trump and DeSantis an amazing amount of credit to compare them to tr two truly epic villains. But they're both very, very bad people. And again, I say they come at it from different directions. DeSantis is the smarter of the two. He is by far the most, I don't know, I wouldn't say politically savvy because he's had some major gaffes, but he is the more effective of the two. He actually gets stuff done because for the most part, he's able to control his, his impulses, right? He's the, he's the kid that will, that will turn away five M&Ms now to get a whole bag of M&Ms at the end of the day, right? That's a reference to an old psychological experiment. Um, and the stuff that he's done to Florida, and I'm embarrassed to say he comes from the county where I live now. That's embarrassing. Not that I've lived here my whole life. I've only been here about seven or eight years, but still, it's, ugh, it's not great. On the other hand... Trump has the, and I, I hesitate to call it charisma because he's extremely uncharismatic, but he has this ability to generate a cult following, and he is more able to stir people up to, to obvious violence, as we saw from the January 6th attack. And so if, if he wins the primary, then we're looking at someone who will continue to stir up violence to intimidate people and to to limit protests 
to to intimidate the news into limiting its coverage of him in a negative way. And so whoever we get at the end of the Republican primary going up who I, with who I assume will be Biden is going to be someone we have to be very, very wary of. And you know, I talked about this in the Fortress of Solitude segment, but we have to all stand together on this one. You know, there's a, there's a saying that Republicans vote as a monolith. You know, they will, they're willing to, to make concessions to give up some of the things they want to get the overall agenda accomplished. And we on the left are a lot more divided. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. We are, in my opinion, uh, a more nuanced group. We want things on a different level from, from liberals to progressives to, to far leftists. And that's okay. But we sometimes those divisions get in the way of of us accomplishing our larger goals. Sometimes we let perfection get in the way of good. And I know the primaries are a long way off and the the general election is even further away. It's like a year and a half from now. But we have to start planning how we're going to support each other and how we're going to all step up and how we're going to get things accomplished, to, you know, hang on to the presidency, to hang on to the Senate, to hopefully get the House back. These are long-term goals, so we have to start thinking long-term. We can't dismiss either Trump or DeSantis because on many levels they're both very ridiculous. That's how we got into trouble in 2016. We were too dismissive. We have to take them seriously without giving them too much credit in other aspects. So this is your very, very political thoughts from the Fortress of Solitude from this episode. Um, these are the things that are most on my mind. They are the things that I think are extremely important. And if me sharing these thoughts helps two or three or four or five people kind of, kind of, gird themselves for the coming obstacles that we're going to face, then I feel like my job here is, is, is worthwhile and job well done. And if it doesn't help anybody and then, Hey, at least, at least it lets me get it off my chest and toss it out there to the ether webs. So those are all the thoughts I have for this episode. So with any, without any further distractions, let's go talk about some comic books. At the top of the episode, I mentioned that I was only going to cover Superman number 27 for the first comic book segment of the episode, but after rereading this issue for the podcast, I realized that I think it would be better to just go ahead and do both uh, issue 27 and 28, um, partly because they, I think they're going to be a relatively short discussion per issue, um, probably about 15, 20 minutes per issue. And also, 
As this is the week of Memorial Day, I'm recording this the day after Memorial Day, um, and even though both these issues, they take place on the same weekend within the story, and even though they're supposed to take place over the 4th of July holiday, and I think this first one was released, yeah, it was it has a cover date of July 19, 2017. I think this is supposed to be like the 4th of July kind of homage issue, whatever you want to call it. It feels much more appropriate to Memorial Day. And um, so I think I will just go ahead and cover both of them. So let's get started. Um, again, issue 27 has a cover date of July 19, 2017. Let me get to the credits. Do, 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 do. There we go. Uh, this is written, co-written by Peter Tomasi and Patrick Gleason with art by Scott Godlewski, who we saw in the last issue of this series. Um, the colorist is Gabe L. Tabe, uh, E-L-T-A-E-B, Gabe L. Tabe, sure. Uh, letters are by uh, Rob Lee. Lee Weeks and Brad Anderson did the main cover and Jorge Jimenez did the variant. So the main cover is of John and Clark in their Superboy and Superman outfits um, flying ostensibly just across the family farm. I think this is supposed to be kind of them looking back on the farm in Hamilton County as they prepare to move to Metropolis. The variant is of uh, Clark, John, and Lois um, doing uh, like an homage to that classic Revolutionary War painting where you've got the two guys with the drums and then the one person with the flute and then the American flag in the background and them marching across a battlefield. Um, so Clark is in the middle with a drum and John's on one side with a smaller drum and Lois is on his other side with the flute. And both really good covers. Um, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I, I couldn't say which one I would prefer. Normally I would automatically default to Jimenez, but these are, these are both equally really good. So we open the issue with Clark flying home after some adventures. It doesn't specify what, but it's late at night and he's very tired. And we see that uh, Clark and, not sorry, uh, John and Lois are staying up doing work. Lois is on the computer. John's got a, a pen and paper in front of him. They're both very tired, but they told Clark they'd wake up for him. And we, but we see that Clark is so tired, he's Falling asleep at the metaphorical wheel, we see him snoring. He wakes up right before he crashes into the ground and uproots a tree at the farm. He kind of walks sheepishly into the house, says, hey, honey, but then realizes that Lois and John are both fast asleep at the table. He carries them upstairs, puts them both in bed, and said it's bedtime for all of us. And he strips off the top half of his suit and his cape, and he falls asleep in the lower half of his suit and his boots, which is pretty funny. But he's woken up the next day by a very enthusiastic John, who's like, Dad, Dad, come see what Mom got. And Clark goes outside and sees that Lois has rented an RV. And they are going to go on a family road trip. John is very excited. He's zipping around the inside of the RV at super speed. He says it feels like being on the space shuttle. Check it out, a shower on wheels. It's got a fridge that we can fill with iced tea and hot pockets. Um, and Lois has picked out several points of interest that we can choose with the last stop being 
Gettysburg. And he says, uh, Clark says, I guess the apple doesn't fall from far from the tree, Captain Lane. Um, John is jumping up and down in the bed. He's like, hey, there's only one bed. Where am I going to sleep? Lois pulls down a bunk bed that's above the, uh, the front driver and passenger seat. He's like, cool, we've got a big TV. I can bring my Xbox. And Clark's like, nope, no TV on family trip. Take the TV inside, put it in the closet, and we'll put it back in before we turn it back in. So they get in the RV and they head out. And we know this is 4th of July holiday because Lois says that they are celebrating the country's 241st birthday. And again, this would have been in the summer of 2017, so you do the math. Um, John says he's picked out two spots to go to. Lois has picked out some spots, and Clark has two. And they put them into the GPS, and um, and John says, Hey, Mom, what made you want to take this trip? And Lois says, Sacrifice. I felt it would be a good idea for us to celebrate Independence Day by honoring the men and women who served the country. And John says, well, before we hit those, can we make a tiny detour? And they go to Niagara Falls, and we see it's at night, and Clark and John, in their super suits, are boogie boarding down Niagara Falls, which is pretty funny. But next, we see that they are going to Rock Ridge Cemetery in Sharon, Massachusetts, where Lois is visiting the grave of Deborah Sampson, who was a woman who disguised herself as a man, uh, to fight in the Revolutionary War. And after being wounded in the legs, she, she ran off, so no one would discover that she was a woman. She was eventually found out. Um, instead of being reprimanded, she was giving a, a honorable discharge. Um, and then she kept fighting because uh, she went to, she petitioned Congress to get her pension and pay, which was held from her, which was she eventually won. And she eventually got $1,536, which I think comes out to about $15,000 in today's money. Um, and John asked, well, how come we never heard of this lady in our history class? And Clark said, that's a good question for your history teacher. And um, as they're driving along, uh, John spots the coexist sticker on someone, someone else's car which the one that's made up of different religious symbols, and he asks what it means. And Lewis points out the C is a crescent moon signifying Islam. The O is a peace sign paired with the male-female symbol. The E donates science. I had not realized that before. Um, the X is a star David. The I is a Wiccan symbol. Now in this, it's an Ankh. Now if, I think that would be better phrased as being a neo-pagan symbol which is not exactly the same thing as Wiccan. Um, but again, only if, if the neo-pagan in question was, was honoring the, the Egyptian pantheon. Um, I think most of the stickers I've seen, it just has the letter I and then the dot on the lowercase I is a uh, pinnacle. Um, the, uh, the S is a Chinese yin, uh, yin yang. Uh, icon in the T is the Christian cross, and she asks John if he knows what that means, and he says to coexist even though everybody believes in something different. Lois says, exactly, religious religious freedom is in the Bill of Rights, part of the First Amendment. And um, so they go to 
um, a World War One memorial on Fifth Avenue and 67th Street in New York City. And uh, John says he picked this one out specifically because this is the only one that John knows of where it actually depicts World War One as something terrible and and frightening to the soldiers rather than being something glorifying. And they see where someone has uh, graffitied the statue and they've bent the bayonet of one of the soldiers. So Clark takes a moment to use his super speed to take care of that. From there, they go to the Independence Hall of Philadelphia, um, where they talk about how even though the founders of the country weren't doing the fighting, they were you know, putting their lives on the line by signing the declaration because it would have been considered treason. And, you know, if the, if the, if the colonies had lost the Revolutionary War, the founders would have been hung as traitors. Um, it, it does kind of glorify the founders in a way that I'm not 100% comfortable with because it does kind of elevate them and, and ignores the fact that most of them were slave owners. But it doesn't linger on it long. Um, they go from there to a place where a, a diner where they're going to stop and eat. Uh, while John is scrolling through the menu online, Lois and Clark stop to talk to a homeless veteran. And they invite him to come eat with them. Um, the hostess immediately says, we have the right to not serve him and upset our other dining customers. We see him on the streets all the time around here. This is in the shelter. Uh, Clark retorts with, um, and she says that Clark is causing a scene by saying that the veteran deserves to be there. Uh, the guy's name is uh, Ryan Duffy. And uh, Clark says, uh, actually, you are causing a scene. Your walls are filled with movie and TV stars who have done nothing of real value for you. You have no problem tossing on a man who served his country and came back without his legs. Pardon me for saying, but this Marine's picture, along with other Philly vets, should be covering this wall. And so she just hands them a menu and says, here you go, enjoy your dinner. Um, the, the veteran guy, he goes to the restroom, he comes back, um, and he talks about how he lost his legs in the Iraq War. Uh, later on, the owner of the diner comes out and offers the man a job as a dishwasher. Later that night... Um, they go back to the RV where they're camping. John falls asleep in front of the campfire. Clark puts John to bed. Uh, Clark gets he and Lois each a glass of wine. And they go sit on top of the camper and kiss for a bit before Clark is called away on a Justice League emergency. He changes into a super suit and says he'll be back before breakfast. And that is the end of issue 27. 28, I believe, has the exact same credits. Let me take a look real quick. Yeah, uh, Tomasi and Gleason, Godlewski, Eltrabe, Lee, uh, Ryan Sook did the main cover with Jimenez and Alejandro Sanchez doing the variant. Uh, the main cover is of uh, Clark and Lois and John at the Arlington National Cemetery, looking out over the graves of the fallen soldiers. And then we have an image of soldiers from various time periods, ranging from the Civil, uh, the Revolutionary War up to modern soldiers, with an image of Superman standing behind them, holding the American flag. 
The variant is of several people, one that assumes in Metropolis, a lot of them wearing Superman shirts, uh, looking up and smiling as the shadowy uh, silhouette of Superman passes overhead. Again, both really, really good covers. So uh, the next morning, and again, this picks up right where the last one left off, with only like a few hours gap. It is just barely dawn. Um, Lois and John wake up in the camper, realizing that Clark has changed into a super suit and is flying the camper uh, across, <laughs> across the country to make better time. Um, looking out the front window, John says, I'm Han Solo when you're Chewie. And Lois says, I think you mean General Leia. Uh, so they are going from Philadelphia to Washington, D.C. They go to the Capitol building. Um, there are protesters on both sides of the stairs, on opposite sides of the, of the ideological spectrum. We have one group of students. They have a, um, of a, they are holding a sign that says, uh, change now, something change, something moral issue. And then one of them is holding a sign that says, I don't want to die. And then on the other side, uh, we have a guy say, uh, a sign says, Cole built this country. And then we have a guy who's got a shaven head and aviator sunglasses and a camouflage shirt with an American flag on it. And uh, we can't tell what the sign says. It's like AM, which I assume is short for America. Uh, I assume it's supposed to be American Workers First. It's A-M, and below that is W-O, and then F-I, so American Workers First, probably. Um, so we have different sides of the, of the environmental spectrum, uh, environmental argument. And John and Lois and Clark walk uh, calmly between this two group of people, and they talk about how um, people have the right to disagree and doing it here on the capital of the country helps get people to pay attention sometimes. Clark says freedom of speech is about having different opinion and not worrying about repercussions. And they talk about how in other countries, uh, protesting can get you locked up. Um, I would counter that not that in this country, a few months after this, um, people were killed protesting, and people have been getting killed protesting um, through, you know, protesting, you know, they're calling for social change and then either getting sicked on by the police or being run over by extremists and things like that. But they are talking about how things are supposed to work. Excuse me. From there... They go to the World War II Memorial. Um, they read um, several uh, lines from the memorial about how the U.S. became involved in World War II and how the nature of naval combat changed because of World War II. They talk about the invasion of Normandy and the uh, Americans um, taking action in, in the Pacific. Um, they go on to talk about the Korean War and how it wasn't labeled a war by the government. It was labeled a police action because they did not formally declare, the U.S. did not formally declare war. How 
proportionally more people died in the in the Korean War than in the Vietnam than, than in the Vietnam War. They said that 37,000 Americans were killed in the three years of the Korean War versus the 58,000 Americans that were killed in the 10 years of the Vietnam War. Uh, not to mention devastating civilian casualties. And they go on to talk about how it was kind of a, you know, it was unwise of us to have gotten involved in it. It did not make a difference because North and South Korea are still in conflict. Um, Lois stops to um, take an etching of her uncle, uh, Kurt Lane, who died in, the, in, uh, in Vietnam along the Vietnam Wall, uh, the Memorial Wall. Um, and then from there, they fly to, they went, they went to the Lincoln Memorial, but it didn't show that. And then they flew to the, uh, the Gettysburg National Military Park. And there's, there's a scene of them walking through the woods of the park and John taking pictures with his phone. And it's a really interesting counterpoint because you see what John is filming on his phone and it's just the the landscape it's rocks it's trees it's bushes but then next to it you see kind of like the ghosts of the civil war soldiers who were involved in in the conflict and who died um they come across some people who have gone as far off the beaten path as the kent family has it is a family who's having a what they call a birthday picnic um, because they are members of the Dowd family. Some of them actually work there at the park and they are celebrating the birthday of, uh, Thomas Dowd, who was a Northern soldier for, during the civil war, uh, whose birthday was the 4th of July, who died on the 4th of July when he was injured in combat. He lost his leg due to a wound. Um, he was recovering, but the the medical camp he was in got flash flooded and everyone in it drowned. All the bodies were recovered except for that of their ancestor. And so they are they take this trip every year to celebrate their long lost ancestor. So later that night, Clark is lying awake in the RV. He sits up and Lois says, I'm surprised it took you this long. He turns, he gets in a Superman suit. He flies out back to Gettysburg. He goes under the water of the river. He finds a skeleton in the water trapped in like some tree roots. Next, we see him flying over the battlefield lodges where this family has rented a cabin. He's wrapped the, the remains of the skeleton in an American flag. He lays it on a picnic bench outside of one of the cabins. He knocks on the door and flies off. Um, the member of the Dowd family goes out. They see this, the flag wrapped skeleton with a note from Superman because it's marked with this insignia that says, I ran DNA samples at the Justice League HQ. This is indeed Thomas Dowd. 154 years is long enough. Take him home. And uh, next we see them just in the RV again, driving to Metropolis. And so again, this really comes across as kind of the marking not only 4th of July and, um, you know, remembrance of fallen soldiers, but it also kind of marks the families leaving Hamilton County 
in moving to Metropolis. So I didn't stop to give my thoughts on this like I usually do because I wanted to save it for the end. These are two really well done issues. Um, I don't know if I would necessarily reread them again on a read through, or at least not frequently, but they're extremely well done. They're also very, very smart. They managed to walk a line that unfortunately is corporate culture you have to do while still, I think, making an important message. Because as a Memorial Day slash 4th of July discussion, it kind of highlights three things. And they're things that the right often weaponizes the, war, the lip service of. The idea of freedom, of patriotism, and of honoring veterans. And all three of those things are very important, but I feel like the right often does a disservice to all three of those things. Like with freedom. Um, I think of freedom as the right for you know, people to live their authentic selves and to have you know, reproductive bodily autonomy and to be free of the threat of everyday gun violence. But the right often weaponizes the idea of freedom to do whatever you want as long as it's the things that we approve of. You have the right to own as many guns as you want and you have the right to persecute LGBTQ people and you have the right to, to limit someone's, someone else's reproductive freedom if, it, if, it, you know, if you take religious objection to it. And it, they often weaponize patriotism. They, they do that a lot. Um, often the rights version of patriotism is very loudly and garishly flying as many American flags as possible and decorating your truck as an American flag and wearing an American flag t-shirt while at the same time ignoring the welfare of your citizens. It's like when a guy loudly and obnoxiously declares himself an alpha male. If you have to tell people that you think you're an alpha male, you aren't one. If you have to be that garish with your patriotism, it often means that you really don't value uh, the what, what matters most about your country, and that's the welfare of your people. And they very frequently weaponize the idea of honoring veterans. And you'll see this a lot. You'll see it on Fox News. It's like, you know, why should we be worrying about the rights of LBGTQ people? We should be honoring veterans. You know, why should, be, why should we be worried about what's going on over in Ukraine? We should be honoring our veterans. You know, why should we, you know, try to help these people that are are coming to our borders seeking asylum, we should be honoring our veterans. And they use them as a straw man argument. While at the same time, the, the, the people on the right, the conservatives in our government, will, also, will often try to strip veterans of their privileges, um, of, their, of their benefits. They are 
actively trying to you know, reduce the amount of funding that goes to the Veterans Administration for housing, for mental health, for, um, for health care, things like that. That's not honoring veterans. That's dishonoring them. And I think this issue does a good job of highlighting how maybe we can honor those three things, honor the idea of patriotism, on the idea of freedom in a positive way and actually honor veterans. And I understand that there is the argument that our military is over and abroad way too overfunded. I get that. I agree with that. Um, there is an argument that the necessity of the, the scope of our military is not necessarily a good thing that, you know, that some of these people, you know, the people who died in military service died fighting unjust wars. I don't disagree with that. But I also recognize that a lot of these people in the modern day, they're going through the military, they do so because they don't have very many other options. Um, I think that's a lot of the reasons that uh, conservatives try to keep the economy so unbalanced because they need bodies for the military. And um, I think a lot of people who have died in wars are, I think of them as victims of war, that they were pressed, not, not pressed, well, in some cases, yes, pressed into services when there was a draft. But people who perhaps joined the military out of a sense of idealism and ended up not coming back home. So I think it's, it's a good thing to honor fallen veterans. It's a good thing to honor living veterans. And some of the modern veterans in this day may not agree with me on a lot of things ideologically, but they still put their lives on the line. They have a very, very dangerous job. And I don't have a problem saying, I'm glad you're safe. I'm glad you came home okay. What you did is very, very dangerous. And there is a extreme uh, degree of self-sacrifice to it. Um, also, um, and this sometimes leans too far in one direction, but the idea of justice does require uh, enforcement sometimes. And I don't mean, you know, the way law enforcement often behaves in our modern times. I'm talking like, for example, um, if there were not soldiers who fought the Revolutionary War, our country wouldn't have gained its independence. If there weren't soldiers who fought in the Civil War, then we would still, half of the country still would, well, not be part of our country anymore, but would still be able to enact the ownership of other human beings. So I think there is value in honoring soldiers, um, whether necessarily or not you agree with, with the idea of the military and whether or not you agree with how the military is utilized. And even if you don't agree with some of the reasons that some people join the military, 
I think we would be remiss in not giving the people who do sometimes willingly, sometimes unwillingly offer that sacrifice in the name of what they think of as the greater good. So, hey, look, you guys got two Fortress of Solitude talks in this episode for the price of one. So hope that that I, I, I get that some of you may not agree with me entirely on some of this. Um, I like to think that this issue, again, doubling back around, did walk a fine line between what people on the right might want to read in a comic and what people on the left might want to read in a comic. And I'm hoping that those people on the right who read the comic, it maybe opened their eyes a little bit about how those of us on the left do perceive things and maybe help them understand better, you know, when it comes to things like, you know, not just honoring veterans through lip service, but actually giving them the, the help that they need to reintegrate into society and to be paid back in kind for the sacrifices that they made. So um, let me take just a very, very brief break. It'll be just a few seconds for you. And then I'll be back to talk about Super Sons number six. Okay. Now, much like I did with the eponymous Superman title, I am actually going to go ahead and cover two issues of Super Sons for this segment. Um, I have found that this book, while very fun, is a very quick and easy read. And I think I will probably end up doing this with Super Sons every time it comes back around on the rotation. Um, so I'm going to cover Super Sons number six and number seven, cover dated... Uh, July 19th and August 16th, respectively, from 2016. Let me get to the credits here. <laughs> Probably at the end. Nope, there they are. Okay, so for 16, I assume the credits are going to be the same on both, but I will double check. 16, or excuse me, number 6, is uh, written by Peter Tomasi with art by Jorge Jimenez. Yay! With Alejandro Sanchez, my... Favorite colors to go along with Jimenez's work. Rob Lee is the letterer. Um, Jimenez and Sanchez did the main cover, and Dustin Nguyen did the variant. The main cover is of Superboy smashing through a wall into a meeting of the Teen Titans. We see Starfire, Beast Boy, Aqualad, and Raven looking on as Robin says, Teen Titans meet my secret weapon, Superboy. Um, and this is the uh, uh, Jackson um, Aqualad. It's not Garth. Uh, so if those of you that are more familiar with the Young Justice cartoon in the comics, this is the the um, uh, the equivalent of Calderon from from Young Justice. The variant cover. Um, is, again, by Nguyen, is Superboy in the very front with Aqualad and Beast Boy to his right and left, respectively. Robin and Raven slightly behind them, and then Starfire in the middle 
and above Superboy. And again, these covers by Nguyen are really good. I've talked about them in the past. They're just not to my particular taste. So uh, we open with uh, an old man in an art studio sculpting with clay. And he's saying, the mud of a dead multiverse crafted and shaped to quasi-life at my slowly decaying hands, hands that until now had only arthritic failure time and again. This earthen gift from the other counter me is my rebirth a new life's work. When my time passes, I will never be remembered, but my new life's work, they will never be forgotten. And we see that he has crafted three humanoid figures um, that are kind of standing in the spotlight. They don't have much detail. One of them looks like it's wearing a long cape and a hood. One seems to have pointy ears and big shoulder pauldrons. And the other seems to be wearing kind of a spiky helmet. From there, we go to the Kent family uh, apartment. It's a very big apartment. I think it's supposed to be a penthouse in Metropolis. And John has his Superboy suit on, and he is ready to go out on the town at night. Uh, Lois asks if he has his cell phone. He says, yes, Mom, I've told you a hundred times. And I love Lois's response. She goes, don't get short or I'll turn your super butt right around. He goes, okay, I'm sorry, Mom. And she tells him to remember to be back home by 10. Um, Lois is making John a snack while Clark is scooping something. <laughs> it looks like Clark's just eating a big bowl of mashed potatoes. Okay. Um, John says, oh, come on, Mom. It's Friday. Damien's dad lets him stay out all night. And Clark says, Damien's dad dresses like a bat and gets hit in the head 28 times every night. So maybe not the best argument. John says, that's fair. He takes the lunch from Lois. She's written super snack on the bag. And uh, he heads out. Before he does, Clark stops him and says, remember, what are we helping fo folks for, buddy? And John says, good people get involved. And Clark says, bingo, take the skylight. So John heads out. Lois asks Clark if they're doing the right thing, and Clark says, well, my dad was never able to stop me from going out and testing my abilities and trying to do the right thing when I was a kid, and I think it's better for us to be supportive of him than feel like he has to do this in secret, because he's going to do it anyway, and it's best if we are, are there for him. So John finds Damien on a rooftop, looking down um, on the city, and John's like, sorry, my mom washed my washed my suit, washed my costume, and it got mixed in with my PJs. And Damien's like, it's not a suit. It's not a costume. It's a uniform. So they head down to the streets of Metropolis to go do some superheroing. There's a really fun splash page of John just looking super enthusiastic and just jumping hands and feet first while Damien is swinging down, looking all grim with his hood over his head and his his face in shadow and Damien says your training begins now and John's like training what what do you mean training we're just here to have fun uh so the first thing they do is Damien accosts a jaywalker and um and he says uh next thing you know he'll be knocking over liquor stores on Gotham Heights and working for working for pennies for scuzz like two-faced uh meanwhile John is petting the jaywalker's dog and uh, uh, 
And he he apologizes for Damien. He shoves Damien out of the way. He says, sorry about my partner. Cross at the corners. Keep your dog safe. And um, Damien's like, I'm doing what needs to be done to bring justice to your city. John's like, oh, my city already has justice. Uh, two, we're not, we're not supposed to be having training. We're just supposed to be having fun. Damien says, there is no such thing as fun. That's why you need to be trained. Reminds me a lot of when my boss used to tell me that there's no such thing as morale. Ugh. Hate that. Uh, that is an argument that says, I do not care if my employees are happy or not. But anyway, I digress. And Damien says, say what you say what you want, but that guy's never going to jaywalk again. So there's a montage of them doing super things throughout the city. John stops a guy on a moped who has apparently stolen someone's briefcase or something. And then Damien gets a cat out of a tree. Uh, or sorry, John gets a cat out of a tree. Um, there's a scene of John and Damien changing someone's flat tire. And um, next they're sitting on top of a lighted billboard. And Damien is trying to call the Teen Titans. He says, I have more responsibilities than just you. And uh, John's giving him a hard time about the fact that the Teen Titans don't pick up. Damien's giving John a hard time about only being 10 and therefore not being old enough to join the Titans. Meanwhile, a green cat walks up next to John. John pets it. And, um, and the cat says, uh, don't knock the Teen Titans, super kid. It beats being Robin's assistant. John goes, yeah. And, of course, the green cat turns into Beast Boy, the much more fun version of Beast Boy than the changeling version from the Marv Wolfman's 80s uh, Teen Titans, where he was just a serial sexual harasser. You know, this, this version of Beast Boy is very fun. He's very much inspired by Teen Titans Go. He's very delightful. He looks like he's about 15. He's got shaggy hair, pointed ears, bare feet. Just just a fun design all around. Um, the rest of the Teen Titans show up. Again, we have Aqualab, we have Starfire, we have Raven. This is the actual teenage version of Raven. Um, not as a hub from Titan Up the Defense referred to as Sexy Druid Lady uh, uh, Raven. This is like full-on goth Raven. And um, I really like the redesign of Starfire's costume. It's still... Essentially a one-piece bathing suit with hip boots and elbow gloves, but it it is more it, It's less bikini-esque um, So, you know much much less uh, cheesecake going on, but she still looks really pretty the way she's drawn here by Jimenez um, So they're gonna go do some stuff and Robin says that uh, Superboy can't come. The rest of the Titans actually invite Superboy to come along, but Robin says, no, he's not a teenager. There are rules, and rules are here for a reason. So, um, Robin begins conferring with the rest of the Titans, and, um, Robin is talking to Raven, Raven about picking up a particular empathic disruption. Uh, Robin says his sensors have picked up no radiance on thermal resonance, and he talks to Beast Boy about bees have, having chemoreceptors that could also be useful. And again, Starfire invites Superboy along, but Robin says he can't go, and they all get in the Titan's jet and take off. 
So in the Titans jet, um, they're all kind of giving Robin a hard time about one, assuming that he's their leader because he just barks orders at them and expects everyone to know what they're doing. Um, and two, about um, dismissing Superboy. And so they they land in a part of Metropolis known as Hell's Gate. Damien says, and people have say bad things about Gotham. Um, they're, you know, they're using their sensors and their senses and looking for this particular um, energy resonance that Robin's talking about. Uh, and as they get off the as they get off the jet, Robin says, "Titans, maneuver T on my six. And, and Beast Boy says, "Dude, we've get discussed this. You got to start letting us know these moves ahead of time. You can't just bark uh, maneuvers at us." Uh, so meanwhile, um, Superboy is leaping across his, uh, across the city. He lands on the roof of his parents' apartment building. Um, he goes inside exactly 10.59. Lois tells him how proud she is of him, of getting back home on time. She says that Clark is off on a Justice League meeting, and she has to run to the, uh, to the planet real quick. She has to go to the Daily Planet. There's a story about a senator that was just arrested for selling tech secrets to the Russians. Um, and again, like I said with the last segment, I do give DC a hard time for not um, taking a more political stance during this incredibly fraught era. But that is a pretty good reference to some similarities of things that were going on in real life. And she tells him to go to bed in a few minutes while she heads out. And she says, there's plenty of superheroing for tonight. He's like, yeah, okay, good night, Mom. So meanwhile, the Titans have tracked this energy signature to this one particular alley. Uh, Raven can sense it on the other side of a particular wall. She puts her hand on it. She begins reaching out with her empathic abilities. But then a big orange hand smashes through the wall. And we see there are two bad guys on the other side. One of them is in kind of an orange and yellow jumpsuit with a green helmet on their head um, and uh, long black hair. And the other one looks like a cross between Amazo and Chameleon Boy with no face. And they introduce themselves as Adam Master and Chun Yul. I had to do some research. Adam Master was a... These are both Silver Age villains. And the Adam Master first appeared in World's Finest number 101 in 1959, created by Bill Finger and Dick Sprang. And Chun Yul is a member of the Faceless Hunters, which are a race of alien supervillains that first appeared in Strange Adventures number 124 in 1961 co-created by Gardner Fox and Mike Sikowski. So we are digging into some Silver Age shenanigans here. Um, they, the villains begin attacking the heroes. The, the villains get the drop on the good guys and knock all knock um, Starfire and Aqualad unconscious. Uh, Adam Master knocks out Beast Boy. Robin lands in a cool superhero crouch ready to to continue the fight but then a new figure comes out of the hole uh it's a guy named the time commander who's wearing a purple outfit with white trunks white boots and a white hooded cape 
and he is another Silver Age villain. Um, he first appeared in Brave and the Bold, number 59, in 1965, co-created by Bob Haney and Ramona Fraden. Um, I've got to say that the way that Jimenez draws all these characters looks a lot cooler than they did in the Silver Age. And all these characters, by the way, were members of a group known as the Forgotten Villains, which were counterpoint to the Forgotten Heroes, which is a group made up of Rip Hunter, uh, Cave Carson, Animal Man, uh, Dolphin, and Congorilla. Now, all the, most of those heroes have gotten a lot more play since the day. Uh, Rip Hunter was a big part of the Booster Gold series in the late 2000s. Uh, Animal Man obviously has gotten a ton of play since the Morrison series in the late 80s. Dolphin was a supporting cast member of the 90s Aquaman series. And uh, Cave Carson got his own miniseries, or two miniseries, in the Young Animals era. The only one that hasn't gotten a lot of play is Congorilla, but he still got some action during the James Robinson run of uh, Justice League in the late 2000s. So all those heroes are somewhat less forgotten than they used to be. But uh, chun Yul, the big orange guy with no face and pointy ears, grabs Robin in a full Nelson, and uh, Time Commander says that I need to go collect your friends and bring them back. We need more than just a team of kids to make our point. And just to make sure we aren't forgotten, let me take the time to send you back with a message from Cracklow himself, just to show we're serious. Meanwhile, we go back to the Kent apartment. John is asleep on the sofa, having eaten a bunch of potato chips and fallen asleep watching TV. There's a knock on the door. He goes, or a knock on the window, he goes to check it out. And out on the balcony are the unconscious titans, including Robin, who is now a diminutive old man. And that is the end of issue six. So let's go on to issue seven. The credits on this issue are exactly the same as the last, so we can skip that. The main cover is Superboy holding a huge piece of rubble over his head. We're seeing Superboy from the back. And facing Superboy are all the Titans who are all looking suitably impressed by his massive feat of strength. And the variant by Nguyen is Superboy flying along, um, which isn't quite accurate, with him using Robin's cape as like, um, like a sling to carry a seated robin as they fall along next to a surprise duck. Again, not not really my 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 taste on the variant covers, but they were very well done. So uh, we open with the rest of the Titans sitting around the the Kent apartment while Superboy brings them all drinks and they are trying to figure out what they're gonna do. Um and uh, they're like, where is Robin anyway? And uh, apparently he's been in the bathroom for a while. And Starfire's like, he's in the bathroom again? And Aqualad says, you've seen those old people in commercials, right? So there's like a whole page of John knocking on the door. And 
uh, Robin flushing the toilet and coming out, and Superboy covering his nose from from the stink of what Robin just did in the bathroom. He's like, Titan, and Robin's like, Titans, time to go. We know where they are and what we're, hang on. And he goes back into the bathroom again and says, not a word, and slams the door. Um, <laughs> meanwhile, they all, re uh, Superboy regroups with the rest of the Titans. Um, they, they would very much like Superboy to come along with them. Superboy says, you know, or at least, at first he, he, John's back in his civvies, and he's pretending to, it's like, what do you mean, Superboy? I'm just a regular old kid that Demon just happens to hang out with. They're like, okay, yeah, don't, don't worry about that. We, we know. And they say that, uh, it's a huge advantage for the team, even though he's not technically a teenager yet. And uh, Raven says, John, it's really simple. We need your help, and so does your friend. And then we get a panel that's become kind of an iconic meme in Superman fandom circles on social media. Um, it is of uh, Clark uh, with his... He's still wearing, like, civilian clothes, but his shirt is unbuttoned to expose the S. He's taken off his glasses. He's holding his glasses in his hand. He's winking at John. And uh, in the panel, he says, remember, what are we helping folks for, buddy? And John is saying, good people get involved. Um, the, the panel that gets circulated a lot in Superman circles has, doesn't have the word bubbles in it. But it's a, just a great, great image of Clark that, you know, is basically just you, by now, just means, hey, I'm a Superman fan on social media. And it's really, really fun. Coffee, coffee sip, black, no sugar, Superman mug, you know the drill. Um, so, old man Robin comes out of the bathroom, he tells John to get dressed, and John says, you really don't mind? And Robin says, right now I'm way too old to care. So, they all go out on the balcony, and Beast Boy offers John the honors. He says, really? Titans! But then Robin shoves him out of the way. He says, I may be old, but I'm not ready to retire. Titans, um... And he has an old people moment. And John whispers, together. And so Robin shouts, together. And they all jump off of the balcony into action. We see it. We have a splash panel of John doing a super jump. Beast Boy has changed himself into a giant eagle. Lord of the Rings style. Um, Aqualad is riding on his back. Starfire and uh, Raven are flying, and Starfire is carrying Robin. So we go back to the old man from the last issue, the guy who created the sculptures. And uh, this is Cracklow that was mentioned in the last issue. Now, I had to do some more research. Cracklow was another member of the Forgotten Villains. And in Silver Age, Bronze Age style, he pretty much looked like Merlin. He looked—he was just like an old, oldish guy with a long white beard and a purple robe. Um, and he first appeared in Rip Hunter Time Master number 28. Now, this version of Krakalow in modern continuity is just a failed stage magician. He, you know, he talks about how uh, he lost decades toiling at a thankless art where theatrics were deemed more important than craft, and it left him penniless. But then one day, the dimensional rift opened in his studio, 
and the the pre-crisis Clacklow appeared and handed him a box. Uh, he said, with this clay, life is at your fingertips and yours alone. I have planted within your mind visions of villains forgotten in my realm. With this clay, you will recreate them in yours and they will bend to your will. They will give you everything and may even protect you from what will eventually follow. Take it from me, this gift, this curse. And with that, the dimensional rift closed. And uh, old man Krakalau was very thrilled. He long had, you know, what he searched for, his, his means to fame. And so um, he, with them, he created the the current versions of Adam Master, Time Commander, and Chun Yul, the Faceless Hunter. Um, there is a shot of those three characters all kind of, you know, standing around looking cool with an image of Cracklow kind of hovering over them Puppet Master style. And that, I believe, is an homage to an old um, DC Comics Presents cover where Superman teamed up with the Forgotten Heroes to battle the Forgotten Villains. I actually had that issue growing up. It was it was one that a friend of mine had, and for some reason it just... I remember him giving it to me for some reason. I don't remember why. I think we traded comics or something. It's probably a bad trade. Um, I probably traded him like an issue of the official handbook of the Marvel Universe for an old Bronze Age comic, which probably was not a good trade on my part. But there is pounding at the at the door to the big steel door to Krakalau Studio. And uh, Time Commander says, you heard the Master, time to prepare for battle. And the Time Commander says, his powers are a little diminished since aging up Robin. But then the Titans smash in the door. The fighting commences. Um, a whole lot of water rushes in from Aqualad's hydrokinesis. That affects the three villains that are sculpted of clay. Because, of course, they're made out of clay. So it kind of affects their body's composition. It takes them a minute to kind of pull themselves together, but Time Commander is still able to stop time, or at least slow down time, around the Titans. Um, time Commander says he's not strong enough to straight out kill them. Um, what Krakalau wants is for the adult heroes to come seeking revenge on him. He doesn't care if he gets imprisoned, he doesn't care if he dies. All he wants to do is to be famous for forcing the adult heroes to come seek revenge on him. And he's very confused and upset that Batman is not coming to, to get him for aging up Robin. But the Time Commander insists that Krakow runs for it um, while his three, the three villains that he's created holds the Titans off. Um, actually time commander goes with him and he leave, they leave Adam master and Chen Yul to fight the Titans. Chen Yul, he kind of supersizes himself. That's apparently the powers from the, from the silver slash bronze age. He could just grow real big. He's got like giant man powers. And in the old days, Adam master could use his helmet to just create realistic illusions. This version of Adam Master, who is a lady, 
can affect her molecular density. So she's kind of got vision powers. She can either make herself intangible or super dense. And she's made herself super dense. Um, and meanwhile, they're, they're, the two of them are deciding on which of the heroes they're going to try to kill first. But then Superboy just kind of shakes off the effect of the time distillation around him. Um, and she shouts, let me go. And then he shouts, go really loud. There's a great splash page of him kind of bursting free, like Superman breaking chains around himself. Um, everyone looks seriously impressed. And if you're reading the current John Kent series, it is clear that John's powers are not exactly Superman powers one for one. The, he has like energy storage abilities and he can release that, that extra energy. You know, like how in All-Star Superman, uh, Superman got overloaded and it killed him. And John can store that extra energy and do interesting things with it. Um, and I, I don't know that that's what they're doing here, but you know, you, you don't really think of Superman being able to shrug off the effects of what is essentially a time spell. But John can, which is really interesting and really neat. So uh, Robin sends Beast Boy to go track down Krakalow, uh, while the rest of the Titans take care of Adam Master and um, Chun Yul. Um, much fighting happens. Superboy blasts Adam Master in the back with his heat vision as Chun Yul grabs him. Uh, Aquaboy, I'm sorry, Aqualad and Starfire are looking on. Again, suitably impressed. Aqualad says, his name's Superboy, right? Starfire says, yes. Aqualad says, we got to get one of those. Starfire says, yes, we do. Um, uh, Time Commander is running through an alley. He is stopped by Raven. And uh, he threatens to do to her what he did to... Robin and Raven says the last thing you want from me is to turn into anyone in my family time commander in fact let me give you a glimpse of how scary that can be and there's a there's a big magical whoosh time commander goes yeah and then just kind of passes out uh, Robin is standing in front of time commander when he wakes up he says that's Raven she's the good cop me I'm not Let's talk about reversing my aging while you're still conscious. <laughs> Pretty great. Love the dialogue. Uh, Starfire uses her Star Bolts uh, in conjunction with Superboy's Punch to knock out Chun Yul. Uh, Aqualad is having a standoff with Atom Master. She's shooting some kind of energy blast at him while he's using water to blast her with hydrokinesis. They're at a standoff. But then Superboy just throws Chun Yul into Adam Master and knocks her out, and the two of them begin dissolving into clay goo. Robin and Raven walk in. Robin is now back to his normal age. Superboy says, Hey, you're you again. And Robin says, In your you. Life's full of disappointments. Um, Beast Boy has tracked down Krakow. Krakow, excuse me, he's turned himself into a giant lion and has. Krakalow hanging from the shirt by his mouth. Um, Krakalow says, I had a greater destiny waiting for me and you children ruined it. 
So they take Krakow into custody. Um, they talk about how he's just been a small-time magician working for decades. They're going to hand him over to Argus. Um, the rest of the Titans are going to convene tomorrow night. Don't forget to bring... Uh, Starfire says, do not forget to bring our newest uh, member along with you. He is adorable and great in a fight. Uh, <laughs> uh, Beast Boy turns into a koala and jumps on Robin's head and says, don't worry, you're, you're adorable too. Raven says, do not let Robin's defensiveness mask his real feelings, Superboy. He respects you deeply. We all do. Now that we know you, you're welcome back to the Titans at any time. And Raven says, don't get too cocky. Her dad's a satanic demigod, just so you know. Um, shortly after that, Superboy and Robin, they go back into Krakow's studio. They begin gathering up some of the clay so that Robin can take it back to the Batcave to study it. They begin beckering once again about the fact that Robin thinks that Superboy needs training, but then a dimensional portal opens up behind them and big robotic claws reach out and grab them. And that is the end of part two of Planet of the Capes. Again, very, very fun series. Very quick and easy read. And like I said, from this point on, um, as long as I'm covering a Super Sons arc, I will probably do so two issues at a time. That is the end of our comic book coverage for this episode. So give me just a moment and I'll come right back and wrap everything up. Before I close things out completely this week, I just want to give a shout out to a podcast that I discovered recently called the Comics Action Collective. If you like my my take on politics through the lens of comic books from the left of the political spectrum, you will really, really like this show. It uses comic books as even more so than I do to talk about uh, left political politics. Um, even possibly even further to the left than I am, but that's okay because I, I like getting new perspectives on things, even if I'm not 100% aligned with them. Uh, I'm very closely aligned with their take on things, and it helps me kind of uh, do some introspection and and uh, maybe examine how and why I feel about certain takes on politics. So really, really good show. Very, very entertaining. Very, very well done. Definitely worth checking that out. Again, that's the Comics Action Collective. So... Um, as far as today's comics from my show, I really enjoy talking about them with you or to you or however you want to phrase it. I always think of talking it with you guys. I, I like to think of it kind of a, almost a one-sided conversation that I'm having instead of just talking out into the ether sphere. Um, if you enjoy what I'm doing here on the show and if you'd like to help support the show, you can do so at patreon.com slash truth, justice, and hope. If you do, you get a ton of bonus content of my coverage of my favorite classic post-crisis Superman stories. I am a little more than halfway through Reign of the Superman. I just covered the destruction of Coast City last week, and I'll be covering the initial fallout of that on this week's episode. Once I finish with the rain, 
I'll be putting the 90s on hold for a little while. I'll be doing an, an episodic breakdown of uh, the 2006 movie Superman Returns. When I finish with that, I will switch over to the late 2000s, beginning with a very brief overview of Infinite Crisis, followed by um, the Up, Up, and Away arc that ran between the two Superman titles at the time. Looking forward to that. I love the late 2000s era of DC. Probably my favorite era as of right now. That could change, but right now that's definitely where my interest is leading. Um, you can also help the show out by giving us a five-star review wherever you get your podcasts. And you can follow me on social media, on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Spoutable by searching for Truth, Justice, and Hope. So, since we finished the short declaration arc in the eponymous Superman title, this week, next week, we're going to switch over to Action Comics, beginning with issue 985. That will be a part, a, let's see, how long is that run? Uh, I think it's just a two-part arc. It's a fill-in arc by Rob Williams and Guillaume March called uh, Eve of Destruction, and uh, we will continue on with Super Sons for issues 8 and 9 of that series. That's going to be a ton of fun to talk about, but until then, as always, remember to fight fear at every turn with an open mind and an open heart. Love you.